Welcome to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. I'm Paul Sweeney, alongside my co-host, Matt Miller. Every business day, we bring you interviews from CEOs, market pros, and Bloomberg experts, along with essential market-moving news. Find the Bloomberg Markets Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and at Bloomberg.com slash podcast. All right, I think the topic of the day slash week slash month is inflation. I think the transitory argument's kind of halfway out the window, all the way out to the window, but uh, investors are still trying to get a handle on that. Let's check in with a professional, get his thoughts. Ernesto Ramos, Chief Investment Officer, BMO Global Asset Management in the U.S. Ernesto, thanks so much for joining us here. Let's start with inflation because it's everywhere, and we, we just got through a big earnings season where it was certainly one of the most to talked about topics on the conference calls. How do you think about the in inflationary environment we're in today, and how does that color your investment outlook? Well, thank you for having me. Um, inflation, we believe, might actually not be as persistent as some people expect. There's a couple of reasons for that. Number one, you have strong base effects. In other words, once you have inflation ramping up as much as it, it has by now, the compares get easier. You can't have, I mean, you could, you, we saw it in the 70s, you can't have 10%, 10%, 10% stacking up year over year. Um, unless something dramatic uh, has changed in the economy. We think a lot of the inflationary pressures we see right now are derived from COVID and COVID after effects, supply chain disruptions that are the result of COVID lockdowns and other things like that. And all of those will be in the process or are already in the process of resolving themselves. So I wouldn't be surprised if we start to see inflation uh, come off of these high levels and perhaps uh, into 2022, end up in the maybe 2 to 4% range, which is a lot lower than we see right now. So it actually might turn out to be, maybe the word is not transitory, but not uh, a permanent 6 7% going forward for the next couple of years, so yeah. to speak. Well, it was, I mean, the 70s inflation was transitory. Was just that one decade, pretty much. <laughs> right. I'm curious. <laughs> I'm curious, um, Ernesto, to hear what you think about transitory. I mean, you did um, your undergrad in something mathy, I think, at MIT, and then you studied st um, statistics for your PhD at Harvard. Who gets a, who gets a PhD in statistics? Well, I'm, I think that's pretty cool. <laughs> you do? Wow! I, I had one that. semester of that in business school. And that was enough. <laughs> I loved. I loved it, but you don't. I'm assuming you don't really use words as vague as transitory, or do they mean something different to you than they mean to the rest of us? What do you, what do you think about tr the, well, the, the I, I idea? People, I think initially people thought transitory was one or two months or maybe three months of, of, of high print. Uh, I, I think inflation as a, as a compounding mechanism is not going to last more than a, a few months. Uh, and, and that's, that's basically our, our base case. And look, the important thing here is not so much that inflation is going to be here forever or not. It's the fact that nobody really knows. There's so many things right now that nobody really knows what, what it's going to look like, inflation being one of them. Do you have a huge, a very big distribution around the potential inflation outcomes, supply chain disruptions, fiscal policy, monetary policy, economic growth, earnings growth, all of these things that normally people understand or are able to forecast with some sense of accuracy. Right now, the outcomes are all over the place. So, so what do we tell investors right now? Given all of the uncertainties around all of these potential uh, disruptions or, or, or positive forces for the for the markets, the one thing you know is that stocks are 
the safest place to be, even though they're richly valued, because everywhere else you look, things are even more expensively valued, especially bonds and let alone more speculative assets like cryptos and so on. So, so at the end of the day, the one place where you can find refuge is in stocks. And within stocks, do you go growth? Do you go value? Do you go small cap? Do you go large cap? We're thinking that right now the, the, the sweet spot is quality stocks. And by quality, I mean low leverage, stable earnings, profitable companies that are not necessarily your highest growers, not necessarily your, your cyclical place, but, but companies that are relatively immune to the, to, the, to the cyclical forces, also relatively immune to interest rates, but will provide some decent return given all of the uncertainties that I just mentioned because the, the world is really murky right now, and yep. we don't know how all of these forces will resolve themselves. Ernesto, how do you feel about uh, valuation in this marketplace? A lot of people are raising that as a, as a red flag, yet we just had some really strong earnings. So how do you think about that? Well, also, if, if stocks are that, the only place to be, do you care? Do you care, right? Well, that's the thing. I mean, valuation for stocks are rich, but valuation for bonds are even richer. So you have to put your money somewhere. You can't leave it in cash because of, the, because of inflation. You have to put it either in bonds or stocks. And right now, stocks seem to be the least richly valued of of these highly valued uh, areas. Uh, but but yeah, that is the biggest risk we see in 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 the market in in, in the stock market. And in fact, I wouldn't be surprised to see some kind of a correction here, a five to ten percent move, because we haven't had one for for quite a while. So, but that is part of investing in the stock market. You have to put your money there and and, and put up with uh, the occasional correction, but. Over the next couple of years, we think you will be much more highly rewarded for being in stocks than for being in bonds at this point. What about Westchester real estate? <laughs> Is that a safe place? Well, real estate, food, any, anything you talk about is it's been so inflated by, by your very loose monetary conditions, which, by the way, we think will persist because no matter whether you get Powell or, 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 or Brainerd, you're going to have yep. loose monetary policy. So, so, so that part of the equation is good. But real estate is, is up through the roof. So <laughs> All right, Ernesto. Thank you so much. We really appreciate Ernesto Ramos, Chief Investment Officer, BMO, Global Asset Management. Let's bring in Priya Mizra. She's going to talk rates with us, Managing Director and Global Head of Rate Strategy at TD Securities. Priya, we had Bill Dudley, uh, former New York Fed President and current Bloomberg Opinion columnist. He was on Bloomberg Television this morning, kind of suggesting that maybe the Fed is falling behind the market here as it relates to rates. How do you think about that? So I think it all comes down to the expectation of will inflation slow down or is, are we in a new normal of high inflation and labor markets lag going away? I think uh, Dudley's comments suggest that inflation, his expectation is inflation stays high. And so the Fed will have to play catch up because they would start hiking in his view late. We're actually taking the other side of the argument that inflation is likely to decelerate that there's still plenty of labor market slack. We're dealing with the frictions of the labor market where people have left and they have to come back in. And so our view is that the Fed hikes only in 2023. So the market's pretty split. I think we have a bimodal distribution in terms of, you know, what, what, uh, what are the inflation dynamics, the labor market dynamics. 
And so you've got views of those who say that the Fed is too slow, which is Dudley's argument. We actually think the market's pricing in too early of a Fed hike. The first hike is being priced for July 22, right after tapering ends. But we think by then the fiscal drag will actually start to show up, both with decelerating inflation as well as growth and think that the Fed won't be able to hike next year. So well, it's a pretty split market right now. I mean, because the economy doesn't look that strong enough, doesn't look strong enough to hike into, is that what you're saying? I mean, if they hike just to stop inflation, that's not great. They need to um, have a healthy right. enough economy in which into which to do it. Exactly. And if it's just inflation ridden, um, it's not even clear that inflation uh, will decelerate based on Fed hikes. I mean, the, the way it would have to work is the Fed would have to hike tighten financial conditions, slow the economy down, and then bring inflation, so through the demand channel. But there's a lot of evidence that this is not a demand-led inflation. This is supply-led. So it's not even clear that Fed hikes help. And to your point, yes, if growth is starting to slow, and we think the market's underestimating the extent of fiscal drag. Growth has been so strong this year because of massive fiscal stimulus. And even though we expect the one and three quarters trillion Build Back Better plan to go through, that's not a next year stimulus. That's over the next 10 years. And so there's going to be a drag from the fiscal side, which will start to decelerate GDP. We've got GDP decelerating to 2% by the end of next year. So it's a very hard environment for the Fed to hike as growth is slowing. And if there's evidence that inflation seems to have peaked. So Priya, as, as we think about inflation, a lot of folks are saying you're not going to really see long-term inflation until you get wage inflation. Is wage inflation something that we need to be on the lookout for? Absolutely. But I think we have to really dig into the details of the wage inflation numbers. They're high right now. But we don't think this is uh, indicative of the labor market slack having gone away. We think this is a function of the fact that a lot of people left the labor market because of COVID, because of childcare reasons. There's some retirements in there as well, immigration. There's a bunch of factors that are, are responsible for a small labor market smaller labor market than it would have been. But as we, the economy recovers, as we move towards the from goods consumption to service consumption, we think people return. And so wage inflation numbers, we actually think are going to decelerate as more people enter the labor force. And that's what prevents the wage price spirals. So there's a key assumption to our call mm -hmm. that the Fed won't be able to hike next year is that wages start to decelerate because people return. Now that's making an assumption that there's no further COVID spike. Uh, or, or, or another variant. But well, yeah, so you're right. The, the wage component cannot be underestimated here. Well, well, and the wage growth that we've seen of late hasn't kept up with the inflation that we've seen of late. Of course, there was a time when wage growth was far ahead of inflation and, and uh, it needs to be evened out a bit. What, what do you think the overall picture is? When we get to the end of this thing, Priya, do people make enough money to keep up with the gains in prices? I think in the near term, um, the real wage growth is negative and, and, and low. But they've got a buffer through savings. The savings rate has gone up significantly as well. Now, there's a question of do people really run down their savings? We think there'll be some component of that next year. And so consumption might hold up okay, even though wages will not be able to keep up with prices. But once the savings rate comes back down to a more normal level, right. then I think we'll have to settle down into, you know, real wages having to go up. Otherwise, consumption is going to get hit, which might yep. be a 2023 story. Priya, thank you so much for joining us. We always appreciate getting your thoughts here. Priya Misra, 
Managing Director and Global Head of Rates Strategy for TD Securities, taking more of the transitory call uh, as it relates to inflation, and that is becoming, I think, a little bit out of consensus uh, the farther we get into this. All right, Matt, I went away for vacation, and the 10-year was trading right around 1.6%. I come back a week later, and it's still trading around 1.6%, but I've got a Fed that's tapering its bond purchases. I've got a Fed that's talking about raising rates maybe next year, yet not much movement here in the bond market. Let's check in with somebody who does this for a living, RJ Gallo, Senior Portfolio Manager for Federated Hermes. RJ, give us a sense of kind of how you think the Fed is kind of going about its business these days in terms of tapering, in terms of disclosing maybe how it views the interest rate structure, uh, maybe mid next year. How do you view their performance? I think they um, probably want to try to find a way to rewrite the dictionary definitions of transitory. Right. Uh, there's almost no other way to put it. Um, you know, to the point of the 10-year being at 160, probably should be higher. Um, we, uh, when it comes to duration, we like to look at the average yield on market-weighted average yield on the Bloomberg U.S. Treasury Index. You know, that started the year at uh, started this calendar year at 57 basis points. It's now 119. 119 is the, the highest it's been since pre-COVID, um, and that's because the, the most Fed-sensitive parts of the yield curve are very heavily weighted if you look at the overall treasury market, you know, two, three, five-year securities. Uh, a lot of focus on the 10-year, but they may have actually obscure what's going on here. The Fed has had to inflect because transitory proved to be an inapt, inappropriate description of the inflation problem. Uh, they're going to have to tighten more. Uh, so the short end's moved up quite a bit, intermediates too. The 10-year hang on, hang on RJ, RJ, do you think they're going to have to tighten – do you think they're going to have to raise rates, or are you, or are you saying they're going to have to um, speed up their um, uh, taper? I think that the uh, – probably both. Uh, to me, tightening ta – tapering may not be tightening, no, but it's pulling your foot off the gas. Uh, it's a precondition to getting to the more traditional method of tightening, which would be raising interest rates. And uh, the market has come to the realization fairly quickly recently – that the inflation problem isn't transitory. It's, it's, it's at least problematic. If, if it may be temporary, but it's not short-lived. Um, and as a result, the Fed will be doing both. Uh, the taper may, in fact, need to speed up. I don't think it would be too difficult for them to do, to, to do that. Uh, and then the liftoff will, will certainly come in 2022 and maybe in multiple steps. Is there, we, we had Priya Misra on from TD Securities on earlier, RJ, and she was kind of suggesting that a rate increase is, is not a 2022 event, that it can, be, can in fact be pushed out to 2023, but you're suggesting something sooner? I don't think that's very likely. I, I think that the Fed's, uh, you know, we, we, have, we now have real interest rates at, at record lows, an economy that's apt to continue to expand. Um, yes, there are problems that are apt to be temporary in terms of supply chain that are helping to fuel the inflation story. But the problem for the central bank uh, becomes more complicated if they allow those, those temporary inflation bottlenecks to be reinforced in wage, salary, and price expectations. And that's where we're getting. Uh, you're seeing break-evens north of three. Uh, the, there are wage and salary increases all over the newspapers. Uh, you, you, you feel it. The inflation story is, is starting to heat up. I don't think this is 1976. You know, we're going on our way to 1979. 
Um, I, I do think the Fed, though, has to inflect back you know, in a traditional method, which is they have to raise interest rates. They're probably going to have to get the Fed funds rate you know, materially above one and a half, maybe two percent, maybe even more. They say two fifty. The market seems to doubt that. The flattening of the curve is is the confusion in the market. Does the Fed really have to go that much higher in order to restrain the inflation problem? If they do, then they run setting off a recession, and you get that sort of twist flattening of the curve. Hence, the tenure isn't rising as much in basis points as we've seen on other parts of the curve. Yeah, but we do see real yields down at one negative 120. Right. Um, and that's basically the lowest they've been. Right, exactly. And, and I don't think real yields would, beha- would be behaving that way if people felt that greater Fed restraint to come in the, in the, in the future here, tapering, tightening, um, uh, comes without risk. It does come with risk. People aren't sure how high the Fed can go without suppressing growth. And that's why real yields are not coming off the floor. Um, I think if people had more confidence about longer-term growth trajectories, then real yields would be going up with nominal yields, and that's really not happening. RJ, uh, Morgan Stanley is out with a piece today saying, steer clear of U.S. stocks and bonds in 2022. Is that something you ascribe to? Um, Well, the chief investment officer of fixed income in my company, and I have talked about this for a long time, uh, when inflation finally comes, it's going to be tough for all financial assets. It's been striking how the stock market has bucked the inflation concerns. I think because transitory, temporary, whatever word you want to pick, um, you know, people have bought into that to some degree. As that becomes more questionable, you wonder, when does the stock market start to struggle too? Right now, there's a great front-page story in the Wall Street Journal about how companies are benefiting from the inflation surge. They're doing this like once-in-a-generation price increases. That's all great, but you can't keep doing that. So a lot depends in both markets, stocks and bonds, on the timing of inflation's return to some more tolerable level. And since that's yet unknown, I would think risk premiums need to be installed in bond yields, and they should keep going up. Uh, The stock market, you know, it it seems to be bulletproof right now. It's it's sort of surprising. All right, RJ, thank you so much uh, for joining us. We always appreciate getting your thoughts and perspective. RJ Gallo, Senior Portfolio Manager manager for Federated Hermes, giving us uh, his thoughts on these markets. He thinks we're going to get, in fact, a rate increase from the Federal Reserve in 2022. When Matt Miller can't fill up his Ford F-150 truck with a $150 prepaid card, that's inflation. Uh, the question is, is that transitory? Is that going to be around for a while? Does he have to think about going electric? Let's bring in Steve Wyatt, Chief Investment Strategist for BOK Financial. Steve, let's start with the inflation question. It is topic du jour here uh, in the marketplaces here today. How do you think about inflation, and how does that impact how you put money to work these days? Yeah, thank you. Good morning. I appreciate the opportunity to be back on your show today. It's the uh, it's the $64 question for all of us, and even as we think about the markets and we're investing, if we're, if we're going to shift our thoughts on inflation, which um, we would say that uh, in the beginning, uh, we felt like the cyclical inflationary pressures would uh, be subsiding a little bit more quickly than they are now. Uh, but as we think about if that becomes longer term, and the implications in the capital markets around the bond market, uh, what that means from a pricing and a yield standpoint there, uh, really make it, um, when we think about managing risk, a little bit difficult. Uh, the downside risk in longer-term bonds, if rates are going to move up to uh, any material amount, uh, are almost equity-like uh, at the present time. I will, first of all, I'll tell you, Paul, that I want 
an electric truck. But if I put an order uh, in now for the F-150 Lightning or if I put in an order now for the Rivian or the Cybertruck from Tesla, <laughs> no matter what, I'll be waiting years before I get one of those. So you're a player. I'm sure you can which, get to the front of the line somewhere. No, which, which kind of, which kind of um, I think, reinforces the point that inflation's going to be here for a while because – I'm not going to get my lightning that I ordered today until 2023. So I have to buy, you know, a 6.2 liter supercharged Ram <laughs> TRX. No, um, uh, when you, when you said Steve, that, uh, it's, um, uh, looks different compared with the, with the, uh, fixed income versus the equity market. I wonder, we were talking earlier with a PhD from Harvard who said the equity market is the only game in town right now. Do you see it the same way? Well, I would say this. Look, uh, longer term, if uh, sharply higher interest rates or inflation are not necessarily good for equities, but if you're looking for the asset class that at least has the ability to respond to inflationary pressure and protect uh, investors' capital, uh, at least in the short run, that's that's, uh, the equity markets. If you're looking at uh, cash or fixed income, uh, we just think the downside risk there is – Uh, even higher. Now, within the equity markets, maybe there's some parts of the market that certainly do better than others, the cyclicals, uh, energy, materials. The problem is, is that after 20 years plus of disinflation, they Mm. become such a smaller part of the S&P 500 uh, that it's a very narrow bet, to be honest with you, because those, those sectors that benefit from lower inflation have become so much larger. But they can act as an inflation hedge, um, is your point. I bought a 2014 F-150 Raptor then for $58,000, fully loaded. I'm ordering a new one now for $85,000, fully loaded. And it's only been seven years. (laughs) I'm I'm just telling you, the same product, basically— Although, frankly, not as good because the old one had a 6.2 liter naturally aspirated V8 and the new one has a three and a half liter EcoBoost. The same product costs more, a lot more seven years later. So we do see that inflation, Paul. We do. And so, Steve, if I'm if I'm an investor here, I I mean, should I be surprised that the 10 year still at one point six percent? I thought I would have seen it much higher given that the taper, given the fact that we're talking about rate increases next year. Yeah, so. Uh, here's kind of how we view this. And I've got to tell you guys, the the fact that the 10-year note is remaining as low as it is uh, from our lens is really kind of a really negative message uh, from the standpoint that uh, we entered this year thinking longer-term rates could float higher as we saw better economic activity and were able to move to a scenario where the economy could operate without this extraordinary amount of monetary accommodation, be it quantitative easing, which I'm glad to see the Fed get out of that. The concept of throwing liquidity at a supply-constrained economy makes less and less sense over time. But even as we think about the Fed trying to raise interest rates off of 0%, I, 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 we would have hoped that the market could move to that to that type of uh, of an outlook. But as we've seen inflationary pressures increase, as we've as the Fed talks about tapering now, the long end of the market, the flattening of the yield curve, it's almost like the long end is saying the worse inflation is now, the lower it's going to be longer term because it's going to destroy so much demand and make growth harder to come by uh, as we move longer term. Uh, to me, it's just a really negative message out of the bond market and something we are kind of worried about. 
Why uh, do we see consumer confidence hit so hard? Last yeah. week, we saw the UMish numbers at a low, 10-year mm. low, I think. So good time to buy a car, all-time lows. Good time to buy a house, all-time lows. It's all price-driven. And, and look, I think you can come back to kind of the old saw in the commodities markets over time is the cure for high prices is high prices. But the downside of that is, is it's because of that demand destruction that um, uh, that it's not necessarily good from an economic growth standpoint. Look, we're still optimistic on economic growth going into next year. We think the labor market holds a huge key to how this unfolds. The ability to get labor back into the labor market, one, to increase the productive capacity of the economy to meet some of this demand that's there, uh, to help untangle some of the supply chains and get uh, some of the goods that are uh, trapped in transit to be distributed. But in, in, a, in an almost counterintuitive way, that's going to help cap, if you will, the amount of inflationary pressure that we're seeing from kind of what you were talking about in your comments, and that is demand that cannot be met. So prices just keep going higher uh, and look like they're going to go higher. Uh, it looks like it's going to get a little worse before it gets better. But if the labor market will untangle a little bit, we start seeing uh, people coming back into the labor force right now. There is no fear of missing out. Uh, you look at the number of quits and the jolts data, it's almost unbelievable, isn't it? So, uh, But when you've got help wanted signs everywhere you look, if you feel like the job you're in, I don't like this, I don't like this job today, you quit knowing that you can get another job somewhere else. Uh, but we hope the labor market unfolds from here in a way that it helps us um, improve capacity for output yep. and also help uh, cap inflationary pressure a little bit. All right, Steve, thanks uh, so much for joining us. We appreciate getting uh, your thoughts here on this economy, rates, uh, and this market. Steve White, Chief Investment Strategist for BOK Financial. And I guess, again, uh, as Steve was mentioning, the uh, job market is certainly fascinating. We look at the jobs claims every Thursday. We look at the jobs number on a monthly basis very, very closely here. And uh, the question is, will we get some of those uh, five or six million people back into the workforce? Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to interviews at Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you prefer. I'm Matt Miller. I'm on Twitter at MattMiller1973. And I'm Paul Sweeney. I'm on Twitter at PT Sweeney. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide at Bloomberg Radio.